We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how we doing? Let's talk Nets. Let's talk Nets. Obviously, last night against the Bucks was pretty depressing. We did get some good news today on the front of Ben Simmons. What do we hear, Jack? Look, we heard differing things from the same publication. So just to give everyone the full breadth of information, Joe Varden of The Athletic early in the morning reported that the prospects of Ben Simmons would returning this season are not close. He's not likely to be ready for the start of the playoffs. He was told Thursday, as he's still trying to recover from a recurring back injury that required an injection last month. So that's what Joe Varden said. Joe Varden's had some ties to Kyrie Irving a little bit in Cleveland. Yep. Some of his reporting has been inconsistent. Yep. But then we got Sean Serrano, the big boy. At around two, about four or five hours later, he reported that they, there's an optimistic take and he's resumed light on-court workouts. And to provide a little bit more detail to it, next three time uh, All-Star Ben Simmons has resumed light on-court work, workouts, sources tell me. And the hope remains that he'll be able to ramp up. Oh, God, I can't believe <laughs> I have to say that word again. Get the beeper out for me, Nick. In time for the playoffs. The Nets and Simmons have worked together on his back issues, which flared up when he had previously aimed for a March, a mid-March return. Nick, where do you stand, mate? Um, are, you, are you a shams god? Yeah, I mean, I definitely roll with the bigger reporter in this situation. Like you said, Joe Varden has reported things in the past that have been a little inconsistent and have, I would say, swayed against the Nets, especially uh, pertaining to Kyrie Irving and all of that. So, And obviously, we know Shams probably got his stuff straight from Rich Paul, which is obviously Ben Simmons' agent. So you feel pretty good about it. And obviously, you know, you hope Ben can be ready. It's not like the Nets have ruled him out the year. And it seems like a really Nets leak, you know, um, Corey Cantor was in my men, uh, my DMs earlier today and talking about it, how it's just like something bad happens with the Nets. The next day, you can almost guarantee there's going to be some like type of hope related news. And that's what happened. You know, obviously, the Nets blew the game against the Bucks, And then today we get some positivity referring to Ben Simmons. But really, there's not much to it. You know, it's just kind of kind of almost dragging us along a little bit more and giving us potentially false hope. I honestly don't read that much into it. To be honest, it doesn't yep. really change my. It's my the same style stuff we've kind of been hearing, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, my pessimism you know, continues to remain. You know, I, again, this is something that I'm very, very happy to hopefully be wrong about. 
And again, I will be attending that final regular season game. If I get to see the Nets' big three all suit up, then I will eat the humblest of pies and it will taste sweet as chocolate. <laughs> um, but in, in saying that, Nick, this is at least better than the alternative of him being shut down for next season. But I don't honestly think that the Nets would report that anyway. I think that the Nets are just... They tend to string people along, and I think Ben Simmons and Rich Paul do a similar sort of thing. The way that they use the media as a tool to convey their information, it's it's pretty consistent. Obviously, the most recent developments we saw was, you know, he was doing some stuff in Miami, which was basically probably what we saw here, light on-court yep. workouts. Now, if I'm to compare to something to what we got from Kevin Durant in his return, he needed three high-intensity workouts before he could play. That took about a week. We've got basically a week until the final regular season game. By the time this drops, it'll be basically a week. Is he back by then? I don't think so. But does that mean that he won't, because we've heard Steve Nash say that he's not afraid to just throw Ben Simmons out there for a playoff game. Not playing basketball for an extended period of time and going out there for playoff intensity seems derelict in your duty, which I've said about Steve Nash before. But at the same time, if Ben Simmons is willing and he, I think that the Nets sway to the superstars and, and how they feel, you know, whether it's KD, Kyrie, James Harden in the past, I think Ben Simmons is probably going to be in that camp too. Seems to be a bit separate from the group in terms of what's happening given what we've heard from like Andre Drummond and, and some other people. If he's ready and he's good to go, then give him the 15 minutes that James Johnson is playing right now. I think every Nets fan in the world would be much more happy to see what Ben Simmons can do with the ball in his hands and create the offense you know, with what he can do compared to old JJ. But I'm again, my, my thinking does remain very, very similar. I'm happy to hopefully, you know, change that tune, you know, over the coming days, which, you know, we'll probably get some more information, you know, if the Nets lose a game against the Hawks probably next. It's like, oh, <laughs> Ben Simmons has done two on two or three on three work. And it's just like, all right, cool. Like, has he played five on five? Has he done it like for, you know, an extended period of time? Has he, you know, he's got the conditioning under his legs. It seems to me he's a natural athlete, so I don't know if it's a conditioning thing. I think it's a, a ready... A, you can... No matter what you play, like I've just started back to, to play in Aussie Rules football, which is an incredibly brutal sport, uh, for those that don't know. But you can't translate the style of fitness to a sport. Like, Ben yep. Simmons could be fit as hell. He could have the legs underneath him. And I think a, a good facsimile for this is Nick Claxton. Nick Claxton is just a pure athlete. You look at him and he's just a specimen and a half. But he goes out there and it's just like, wow, this guy who's like got the leanest muscle, six packs for days, and he can't get up and down the court in his first couple of games back. He's obviously now at a, he's fine-tuned to himself and got the reps underneath him to be you know, absolutely in peak condition. This is where the, the thing that worries me a little bit. But at the end of the day, again, I, I think a lot of people are just say, replace the James Johnson minutes. And I think I would be happy, you would be happy, and every Nets fan on this earth would be happy with Ben Simmons for 15 minutes over James Johnson for 15 minutes. Yeah, I, I just want to get back to the point you brought up, Jack, about the conditioning stuff. I think that's an excellent point because basketball is unlike many sports, if any, because of the amount of stop and go, the amount of sprint, stop, wait around, sprint again, jump on three possessions, then not jump. Now you're sprinting to the end of the floor. Oh, there's a turnover back to the other side of the floor. Oh, I'm trying to contort my body. Oh, I need to provide some level of physicality because now there's a 250 pound guy trying to back me down in the post. You're using so many different parts of your body and so many different, you know, parts of your fitness like you're just your endurance your stamina you know your actual physical strength it's incredibly difficult and again like 
the back injury in which Ben Simmons has, you know, herniated disc is one of the most delicate things you can deal with, especially trying to ramp back up because of the way that you can just re-injure it. And it's also an injury where I feel like you lose confidence in your body. It's where it's like, oh man, if I perform this motion or I go all out here, I might come down and now my back might be shot, especially like if you're going up for a dunk and now your landing isn't soft like that. That's easy. That's like an easy way. And like I said, I'm not Ben Simmons. I've suffered the injury, never been a high flyer that plays above the rim or anything like that. But it's definitely something that is worrisome and it's hard to envision him being ready for playoff physicality before playing at least one regular season game even like the idea of him being ready for the play-in like you look at it is like do you even want to necessarily play him in that game because he has no cohesion he has no chemistry with the team we don't know what he looks like on the court it's like you're putting him in a do or die situation i would say like if he's even ready for the play-in i might not even play him in that game i think it's more likely you put him in a playoff game play him 10 minutes off the bench and you can kind of see how it goes throughout the series and maybe from game one to game five it increases yeah i think that i'll i'll go with what steve nash has said because you know i'll, I'll repeat it you know he said he's not going to be afraid to throw ben simmons out there for a playoff game i think that might be a key quote that we all need to remember in you know when we do see Ben Simmons thrown out there and I think all the points you made are totally valid Nick given the fact that you know the way Ben Simmons plays you know he yeah. is a he's a physical player he's a very unique player in the way that he runs the floor you know all the different physical and athletic traits that you alluded to Ben Simmons you know he's not just a spot up shooter he's not a Seth Curry who's playing currently playing through an ankle injury which we hope isn't going to be yeah. too debilitating for him for the rest of the year. So, the net, and, you know, Kevin Durant's got some ankle soreness. Kyrie Irving, obviously, is probably going to be dealing with a few different things after what um, the Milwaukee Bucks did last night. So, And, and Jack, that's one more point that you just brought up for me. Imagine Ben Simmons playing the game last night with the level of physicality in which the Bucks brought. Like, I just think about that play where Giannis literally jumps on Kyrie's back for the jump ball. Like, if that's Ben, that might just re-aggravate his injury. Like, that's the type of stuff where it's just like, damn, like, I'm not really sure what we're going to get from this season if anything yeah i think it's just going to be similar to we can make the comparison point to his teammate former teammate in philadelphia and current teammate in in brooklyn and seth curry is it going to be pain management is there a chance of re-aggravation to make it worse you know seth curry it seems to me that you know he's probably going to get surgery in the off season to probably remedy the issue maybe yep. to a similar extent to what joe harris is doing with his ankle but i think that his is obviously lighter and obviously less intense in terms of the pain is what's Ben Simmons, you know, obviously there's so many different back specialists and, and stuff out there. This is at least a good sign in, in terms of the fact that the epidural probably worked. Yeah. You know, the, the pain is probably alleviated to the fact that he can now go out there and do light basketball workouts. Light basketball workouts, he's probably shooting free throws, he's probably throwing a couple of dimes, he's probably basically sure doing has. what he, yeah, he's doing not probably a lot. Now, you know, how many practices is he, is he going to be doing? Is he doing individual stuff behind the scenes in the training facility? Is he got you know a gym and, and stuff in, in, in Jersey where he's living? I honestly have no idea, Nick, but uh, this is going to be something that we'll probably discuss on many, many a podcast. You know, we've still got five games or so left, and it feels like probably every single one of them will probably have some sort of Ben Simmons update. But it is positive, but you know, I'm also a realist at the same time. Yeah. And my final note would be, I don't think it's an injury in which you can play through the pain. It's not really that type of thing. It's like, it's a nerve thing. So uh, again, like just to review the injury, you have a disc in your back, the disc is partially sliding out and it's getting crushed and that's setting off your nerves and it's making you feel uncomfortable and it's very debilitating. So when you have this type of injury, 
you literally just want to lay down. You have to like stop your movement. You just remember when Cam Thomas had the back injury against the the Celtics. He literally just stiffened up and went to the ground because that's kind of what happens. There's not really like the ankle soreness thing that you can just kind of fight through it, take a painkiller before the game or something like that. This is like, this is affecting your actual movements and your ability to perform at a high level. So that's why it's just really delicate. And I think also there's like some Nets fans like talking negatively about Ben and the injury and all that. Like I, I think they don't understand the delicacy of the injury itself and his age and how it could impact him long-term. You know, you look at a player like Michael Porter Jr. I don't know his specific back injury, but again, he's super young, looked like he was going to have a great season. Now he's out the entire year, potentially coming back later on. I think that's more on the nets in terms of their communication to the yeah. fan base in terms of, you know, when they acquired him, did they know about this? I would assume probably yes. But Sean Marks didn't, you know, let it out to the media. You know, Ben Simmons was giving plenty of pleasantries, you know, during some of his press conferences, Sean Marks doing the same. So I think that it's not necessarily on Ben for that. You know, it's a lot more on and, and maybe some of it is, but I do also think some of it is the organization coddling and, and coddling in a in a positive way in terms of how they treat their superstars and whatever. But who knows when Ben Simmons will be back. Yeah. <laughs> no one knows no one knows and I, I see what you did there but it's it's definitely uh worrisome and obviously it's impactful in terms of what happens to the Nets this season because if he is back in the court even 75 percent the outcome of the season could drastically change yeah and we have no idea when if that could be the case you know Nick's the most experienced when it comes to the back injuries here I've got a probably a few more ankles and shoulders <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll play it by ear. And again, I'm hoping to taste that humble pie and throw a bit of whipped cream and strawberries on top. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's kind of house money at this point. Like I'm not anticipating it happening, but if it does, it'd be awesome. And I think it'd be beneficial even for next season if the Nets don't have the result they want this year, just to get him on the floor and get a taste of what it can be. And I think also just the final thing before we get to our mailbag, and thanks everyone for contributing to that, is that Shams was also the first person to report on, I think it was the Pat McAfee, what's yeah, his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and <laughs> shout out to that dude, because he loves AFL as well. He's always uh, talking about uh, Aussie rules. So I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of that bloke. But in saying that, he also mentioned, you know, he wouldn't be surprised if he would be back. You know, he's optimistic about it. Again, I think Sh Shams is a little bit of a mouthpiece for agents and players. Yeah. Um, he so has a player bias too. That's where he get, how he gets his money. You know, he talks to the agents mostly. <laughs> Absolutely. Whereas Woj is more the, the front office bloke. So again, it's like the, the whole James Harden saga. You take things with a grain of salt, but maybe these grains are more that like pink Himalayan grains that are all a little bit juicier and a little <laughs> bit more flavorsome than the old normal ones. I don't know why I'm comparing grains of salt to pink Himalayans. Maybe we should get to the mailbag before I start making too many weird and stupid analogies. Who knows what's going on with me right now? You're hungry thinking about breakfast, you know, so and that, that's where I had like a protein yogurt. I can't eat too much before I exercise. Yeah, no, I feel you, especially early when you like are first up in the morning. But again, back, back to the mailbag. Where do you want to start, Jack? Let's kick things off. I posted this on my personal profile and also, ladies and gents, on our Brooklyn Buzz community on Twitter. Nick's going to chuck that link into the episode description for this episode and maybe a few episodes going forward. So if you want to interact with us and the rest of the Nets community, that one's booming a little bit and you get you know exclusive you know access to be able to ask us some questions. We'll be making sure to dive deep into it. And also, if any game recaps you want to chat to us about any sort of stuff, you know you can throw it in there too. But first up, we'll jump to Hassan Iman. Hassan's been a, a guest on the show before. He asked, hey guys, 
with the Nets saving money by trading James Harden, do you think they can afford to keep Bruce, Clax, and Drummond? If the answer is no, who do you think is the most valuable to a championship run for our Nets? Thanks, hashtag Nets World. I basically put out very similar <laughs> proposition on Twitter, and it was as bipolar and as you know, dis- there was as much of a disparity as it was. Now I'm not going to make the Chris Rock and Will Smith comparison, but it was very, very you know, divided. Let's just put it that way. Nets Twitter was divided. Uh, so the answer is no. Um, I don't think they can keep all three. I think Drummond alone is a guy that could get decent money on the market, depending on things roll out for him. And obviously the Nets will likely have no cap space. They'll have a taxpayer mid-level exception, which maybe would be enough to get Drummond. But again, I'm not sure that's where they would want to spend it. I think they'd be better off you know, pursuing another player. And when it comes to Bruce and Clax, who do I think is the most valuable? Um, ah, this is tough. Bruce obviously has turned it up to the highest of levels, you know, this second half of the season. I, I truly think that they can retain both of those guys. There's really no reason for them not to. You know, I think they I put out a tweet on your tweet, Jack, you know, uh, referencing the money they saved because they did save money trading James Harden, not having to give him his new deal, which would likely be at a $50 million cap hit, I would say for the first year, not a hundred percent sure. And then I think between Ben and Seth Curry, they're at like 43 and obviously that's two players. So there's about 7 million and 7 million and change. And I think that 7 million would probably be enough to retain clacks, you know, and then you just got to pay Bruce. Who's probably looking more at 10 million. Now. I think he's definitely amped up his, his money. And obviously we'll jump deeper into the money when it gets close to the off season. But I'd probably lean towards Nick Claxton because I Look, think his skill set is more unique than Bruce's. And Bruce has been a better player, but I think Clax also still has more growth for himself. Yeah, that's the point that I was going to make before um, you jumped in, Nick, in, in terms of, you know, just Clax in terms of his upside. You know, where can he go? You know, and, and I think that that's a, a really interesting thing to think about. I'll just go with Bruce for the sake of the fact that, as you mentioned, he has been the Nets' third best player for a very, very long time now. And we're expecting some sort of dip and inconsistency from him. That is not happening. He's proving it night and night, no matter if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, you're the Detroit Pistons. He is playing to a high, high level and, and, and consistent in terms of, you know, hitting shots, playing incredible physical defense, doing every single little thing that you want out of a role player. Whereas Klax, you know, is sort of matchup dependent. You know, there's yeah. times where, you know, he's fit. And, and again, I, I thought he was pretty good last night against Milwaukee. He showed that he was pretty good against Philadelphia, two teams that you would assume that he probably wouldn't be great against. So maybe, you know, I'm, I'm a bit wrong in saying that, but I still do think when the lights get a little bit brighter and the postseason does come, that's when we'll probably keep an eye on Bruce and Clax to the, to the greatest extent and go, okay, this is where, you know, names are made. This is where contracts are made. If you step, that's where Bismack Yombo got a freaking yeah. 16, $18 million contract. If Clax has an amazing first round series, an amazing playing game, you know, he could get Robert Williams-esque money. Bruce Brand, I think, is is going to be around that sort of mark as you alluded to. Probably a bit, maybe into the early teens at, at most. Could see, I, I sort of make the comparison point. He, you know, he obviously took the qualifying offer this year. Is he going to be willing to take, you know, a short-term deal like a, a Toy and Prince 225 uh, that the Nets got him for, you know, a couple of years ago? I don't know, but... You know, what Bruce prioritizes is going to be interesting, but he's done plenty to, to earn himself a decent payday. And I'll go with him just because of if the Nets don't have Bruce Brown during this stretch, you know, you can make make things work more with a, a sort of makeshift center like an Andre Drummond. You know, the Nets still have um, LaMarcus Aldridge in reserve. Steve Nash says that Blake Griffin is a five. 
Um, <laughs> but in, in in all honesty, that's where I think that Bruce is more more invaluable right now, especially because you know John Dre Bembry isn't there anymore, Javon Carter isn't there anymore. You know, you don't have specialized defense coming off the bench. You don't have you're a defensive stopper. He was great on Chris Middleton last night as well, yeah. um, and he's shown a, a propensity to be really really solid uh, in in so many different schemes. So. I'll go with Bruce at this point in time, but that doesn't mean I discount Clack City. Yeah, I think Bruce is definitely the better player right now and more impactful. It's just kind of what Clacks could potentially be. And I think at, at the end of the day, the Nets are at their best when they switch. And I think if you want to you know, be this elite you know, team and you want to have a great defense, you need to have an elite switching big. And I'm just not sure how they could acquire another switching big to the level of Clacks. Like you just look out there, you know, maybe Ben Simmons is just that guy and he can fill that role and then it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Like there's an argument for that. And maybe you could say the same thing about Bruce. Maybe Ben could fit right into his role and, you know, do the thing. So I, I will say one other intrigue, you know, on Bruce Brown is his three point shooting. Justin and I referenced it on yesterday's uh, recap. First time in his career, he had back to back games with multiple threes. So uh, he shot three of five yesterday. The this, this stroke is looking good. Obviously, he's working on it in the offseason, Nick. Yeah. I mean, I think you want to see him speed it up for it to be more realistically impactful, just given that teams will eventually start to close out him at some point. But his improvement is definitely there, too. And like I said, there's really no excuse for the Nets not to retain both guys unless there's some godly offer from another team. But I think both guys also would like to be back with the Nets. I think the Nets are probably their first choice if they're getting market value or even a little bit under from the nets no and i think that you can also make a look behind the scenes at, at david duke jr kessler edwards day sharp do those guys have any you know likelihood of possibly replacing any you know, kessler edwards seems the most likely and you know yeah. can he replace a bruce maybe he sort of guarded you know seth curry a little bit and and some guard types you know he's not necessarily as great on, on guys like lebron james you know, Daron Sharp, you know, he said, you know, in the in the draft interviews that he can switch. You know, he's spoken to, I think he spoke to Alex Sturm about, you know, like drop coverage and, and those sort of different things. So I'm, I'm high on Daron Sharp. I think I Sharp, think he, for him, Jack, sorry to cut you off, is like how much leaner can he get? How much lighter can he be on his feet to be a switch defender? No, that's and that's the, the big question. So, look, the, the drafting that the Nets have done, and now they do have these assets in those first round picks as well. Yep. That if they were to to lose one of these guys in free agency, then you've got those those different tools up your sleeve that Sean Marks does have now to improve the team. And you know the fact that this team is as it is right now was completely different to what it was at the start of the year. You know this offseason needs to be a real priority, and we'll obviously be diving you know massively deep on that. Hopefully in a couple of months' time rather than a couple of weeks' time. But hopefully yeah, post June. Yeah, hopefully post June. <laughs> Um, we'll get to some other questions. Nick. I think we might have to actually throw a couple of these into some of the game recaps for, for tomorrow because too many questions from too many awesome people. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Assis underscore daddy, if Simmons' injury is worse than expected and potentially near career-threatening, do you see us not playing Simmons in the playoffs and trading him this summer? Or do we wait it out and see? Now, Shane asked me this one as well in terms of, you know, Ben Simmons' status with the organization and the sort of relationship between the two. Who needs the other one more? You know, could Ben Simmons be offloaded? I saw like an OG Ananobi, and I think it was a Gary Trent Jr. or someone else uh, trade for Ben Simmons. And I think Nets Twitter broke a little bit. A lot of Ben Simmons fans were, were out on that. But the fact that those things are being brought up shows that there is a, you know, fans are just incredibly eager for, for the next thing and they just want immediate success. And your know, patience, you know, is not a virtue that I have a lot of the time. Uh, and I understand where they're sort of coming from. But yeah, I guess, you know, forecasting into the future, Nick, we've spoken a bit about Ben Simmons. What could his, you know, potential longer term future look like? Yeah, I think it, it's probably a discussion between him and Sean Marks and Rich Paul and kind of how that all feels. But a lot of the talk about him getting out of Philadelphia was he wanted to get potentially into a big market, a big city. So really, other than Brooklyn, where are we looking at? Maybe Miami, maybe Los Angeles. Are there any possible trades on those avenues? Probably not unless, you know, the Lakers really look at moving Anthony Davis, which would be something that maybe you could consider. But Ben and LeBron and Russell Westbrook, that's pretty rough. But I think Russ is on his way out there. But you could see Shane ben- brought up Devin Booker. Um, yeah, I've brought up Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I don't those- see Ben wanting those look maybe Phoenix because Phoenix, I think, is like an up and coming like spot for NBA players. But no way in hell Ben Simmons. OK, is a trade going to Utah. I just think that would just provides he, he doesn't have to okay it nick you know that, that that's well i mean i think he refuses to play or he just you know like for utah's perspective for them to want to pursue the trade it would have to be donovan mitchell being like hey i'm requesting a trade and i only want to go to brooklyn he has to essentially pull a james harden hypothetically you know the, there's talks of rudy gobert going to like dallas and stuff as well so if it's blown up and Ben Simmons has also said that he wants his own situation yeah. before. But again, there's, there's so many things that have been said. It's hard to sort of quantify. But it's I think the Nets question. really like Ben Simmons, though. I, I Like we talked about it. I think Sean Marks talked about it. As mentioned that before the Harden trade, there was a potential three-way interest. trade. Yeah, where he was coming here anyways. I think you want to see what he can do next to Katie and Kyrie because – on paper, the fit makes so much sense. Like, he's an elite defensive player. He takes on some of the ball handling. He can run the offense a little bit, alleviate some of that load from KD and Kyrie, which I think at times hampers them, especially Kevin Durant. I think that's what leads to some of his careless turnovers because his workload is so heavy. So I want to see Ben play next to Kyrie and KD before they look to trade him. And I think also you need to get his value back up. He hasn't stepped on a court in over a year, you know, and there's all this drama related to him, all these injuries related to him. His value value is not very high at this time. So the Nets looking to flip him, it would more than likely have to be at next year's deadline rather than the offseason because people want to see him play unless he comes out and is awesome in the playoffs and then it's all right. it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it'll be a wait and see proposition with that. 
Um, K-Wall Hoops, Corey Waldron. Say there's no Ben Simmons the rest of the year, the Nets lock in the seventh seed. Uh, who is the least ideal first-round matchup and who is the ideal first-round matchup? As we currently stand, the Miami Heat are the number one seed, the Bucks are the two seed, Celtics are the three seed, and the Sixers are the four seed, but there's only two and a half games separating those teams. So, Nick, and the Nets are currently eight, uh, just behind the Cleveland Cavaliers, just ahead of those pesky Hornets. Um, Nick, least ideal, most ideal? Least ideal, I think, is the Bucks. I think the Bucks are the best team in Eastern Conference right now, at least, you know, not record-wise or even the style they're playing, but they've gone out and done it. They have Giannis, who's, you know, top three, top five player. They have a great supporting cast. Brooke Lopez just came back. They have different role players and different looks. Coach Bud looks like he's become a competent head coach in the NBA, and they're they're good, and they won last year. And obviously, they provide some issues for the Nets, and we saw that kind of last night. Obviously, the Nets could have won that game, but Milwaukee didn't play their best basketball yesterday either. either. So, And also, I think you worry about the physicality in which they play. I was going to say that. was yeah. really going to say that because the, the Nets against the, the Bucks. An injury is going to happen to a Brooklyn Nets player, whether it's Seth Curry. There was almost three possibilities last night. <laughs> it is like Bruce Brown could have got his like broken his wrist. Kevin Durant could have you know, had a, a Zaza style you know injury that Kawhi had. Uh, I just think that, and I put out on my timeline that they do toe the line, and they because of the nature of just Giannis as a, a as a physical player, he gets away with so much more because. You know, Nicholas Claxton does half of the things that Giannis does, and he's fouled out. Yes. But it's just because he's skinnier and he doesn't have the reputation. Again, Giannis is uh, you know, one of the two best players in the league. For me, KD's number one. I would say Giannis is number two. I have a lot of respect for him and the Bucks, and I would probably have them you know, as the number one team as well because of just the way that they play uh, and also because they have the, the best player. And uh, I just think that they'll turn it up in the postseason. They know how to, to get things done. I think experience and they're really healthy. healthy. Yep, and then they've got everything, everyone fit and firing. I think the most ideal. I'll, I'll throw the Celtics in there as well, just because I think as a, as a matchup, you know, just wing types like a, a Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you know, have a propensity to to go off against the Nets. And Jason Tatum's already done it plenty of times. I think he's really elevating his game. Uh, but but without Robert Williams, that certainly gives the Nets a little bit of an advantage if they you know can actually attack the paint a little bit more than they did last night. Uh, I think the most advantageous, you can make a real argument for the Sixers because what's happening right now is a, a bit of a, a, a shit show, let, let's put it that yep. way, given you know, Doc Rivers, James Harden playing some pretty awful basketball and that's not being being subjective. That's just like, look at the goddamn stats of what he did against the Detroit Pistons. Now, the Nets weren't great against the Detroit Pistons, but they still won the damn game. You know, Joel Embiid, I think, is you know a monster. The and, Pistons you know, have been playing better too. I think, uh, you know, like, Give them those last two games they played and then how they've been. And I think it was in the last like 10 games. They've actually been an okay team. Yeah. So there, there's a, a lot of, and the heat, I think that is maybe the one that the Nets go, okay, well, we've got these guys. We've done it against them with just Kyrie by himself. Uh, we can easily do it with KD and Kyrie. They played 30 minutes and we beat them by 35 points in, you know, until Ben, you know, Blake Griffin was having to lead the squad with James Johnson and it became a 15 point game. In meaningful basketball, the Nets, you know, their half court offense is just, too dynamic, too, and you know the, And I think that the, the Nets' lack of quality defense, I think, is suited by the way that the Heat play basketball because they are so heavily reliant 
on isolation basketball from guys like Tyler Hero and Jimmy Butler. And Bruce Brand is a decent enough matchup for those guys. They can switch a lot uh, against a team like the Heat. Uh, and they've, been, they've done well of getting out in transition off, you know, three-point misses uh, and those sort of things. So I think the Heat are actually an okay matchup. But things can change very, very quickly in this NBA. In the next five games, the Heat could go on a 5-0 and run. The Sixers, James Harden could get, you know, three tri- five triple-doubles in a row. But as it stands right now, as we're recording this, you know, the day, April Fool's Day for, for Nick, April 2nd for me, uh, I'd go with the Bucks and Celtics also. Yeah, I think uh, the Bucks, and I, I'd have like almost the Celtics in the heat with a tie. I would have had the Celtics more worrisome if Robert Williams was healthy. I don't think he'll be back for the first round just given the injury and his size. But I agree. I think Philadelphia would be the most favorable matchup. And I think another positive in that matchup is just, you know, the Nets are going to get up for it. You know, they're going to be engaged. They're going to be locked in and there's going to be extra bad blood. Like they want to beat James Harden. And, you know, we wanted Kyrie to play high level defense. Like that's the the best chance of it happening would be in that series. And I think, yeah, Joel would probably average 35, maybe 40 in that series. But I think the Nets would still win. And I think you look at Harden, who has not been good since the trade. He's had a couple good games, but majority of his play has been bad you like you mentioned jack the doc rivers thing calling him out things are kind of getting toxic over there tyrese maxi has kind of been all over the place danny green's up there in age tobias harris is kind of a wild card their bench unit is essentially trash so if Joel Embiid gets in foul trouble that game is already a loss so uh philadelphia i think is the most enticing team to face in the first round of year the nets but honestly it looks highly unlikely because it looks like philadelphia is in not pursuing the number one seed or the number two seed, and they're hoping not to face the Nets. They're looking to see a Chicago or a Toronto in round one. Yeah, I think that it'll be the Heat or the Bucks. Uh, I think that that seems the, the most likely to And be I'll be the, straight up, matching up in the Bucks in round one would suck. And that would suck yeah. for the Bucks, and it sucked for the Nets. And on some disrespect to the Nets or anything like that, they're arguably, you know, I don't want to say the Nets are the, the one of the top competition in the East because they still have more to prove to be, get that spot, but the Bucks definitely are. And I think just all that star talent, I think the NBA would be sick if the Bucks and Nets matched up in round one. Yeah, we'll wait and see how it does pan out. Let's get to a, yeah, exactly. Let's get to a few more questions. Uh, Bob Beer at underscore Green Mystique. Have you guys ever noticed how Katie only has the double tap high five thing with specific teammates? What do you think Mitzi's criteria for that? I've noticed Kyrie, LMA, Cam and Harden, not sure I've seen him dish it out to anyone else. Maybe it's a Hooper badge of honor. Nick, what do you think? This is probably the toughest question of the entire mailbag because I honestly have no idea for the criteria. And I, I do try to pay attention to some of that stuff, but I, I don't pay close enough attention to really see if it's happened with other guys. I think it also depends on the situation and like if there's a stoppage because they obviously the tendency to do those type of things is like, all right, you just got to end one. Someone else got to end one. If you're coming back on like, you know, a fast break and you know he just threw an oop to clacks like it's going to be hard to do the double tap high five it's going to be more of your traditional thing so it could be situationally as well but i would say it's probably guys that he feels closer with but obviously i think katie has a pretty good relationship with most guys on the team yeah i think that all and those sort of ones that we alluded to he has like a history with you know la when it comes to the college stuff you know kyrie irving I mean, read the the Logan Murdoch piece, guys. That's yep. one of the best, you know, player profiles that I've ever seen um, on anyone, let alone Kevin Durant. Made me love him even more, uh, and made me really respect Logan Mur- Murdoch as a reporter at the Ringer. Um, and what he spoke about Kyrie Irving as glowingly as probably I've ever speak spoken about Nick. So that's saying something <laughs> for you, because I'm a big fan of my guy, uh, Mr. Fay. And, and in terms of camp, you know, the mentorship we, we've seen a, a real budding, you know, mentorship, you know, old Spider-Man, new Spider-Man sort of style, Spider-Verse. Um, and in terms of, you and know, Harden Bruce, might have lost his spot on the list. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> you know, 
you you, you can go to a Greece with a guy, uh, but if you, you you bail out on him like a goddamn chump and throw up four and or fifteen, lie to him. Yeah, and I mean James Harden. I'm not going to mention the old fat bearded one too much more on this, but it's just fun to call him fat and bearded um, because they're not two good combinations. Being bearded is all right, but being fat <laughs> at the same time, especially when you're an athlete. Not 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 fat shaming anyone by any stretch, but if you are a genuine NBA athlete, come on, mate, get some goddamn conditioning. But yeah, I got no idea. Um, but you know, I'm looking. I'm a big fan of high fives in general. Uh, so I'll be keeping an eye on it as we go forward. Get to VJ at Hindu uh, underscore hammer. Do you think our defensive issues are stemming from us missing Yudoka or is it more effort, chemistry, and personnel? This is a really good pertinent question, Nick, because the Nets' defensive issues, Steve Nash has no idea. So how can he expect us to have an idea? Steve, maybe tune in to, to some of the things that we're about to discuss. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I think it's honestly all of the above. I think Yudoka obviously would help because we saw them last year in the postseason turn it up. So potentially they could still turn it up. And uh, the Celtics are like the best defensive yeah. team by no margin. And the way that they are switching and you know, Jason Tatum's playing incredible two-way basketball. Yeah, they, M.A. Yudoka is an, a, not just a better defensive coach. He's a better coach than Steve Nash. Yeah, um, I think, and obviously, we, and I think Jacques Vaughn is technically in charge of uh, defensive stuff for the Nets, and I think he was even last year when Yudoka was here, but Yudoka obviously played a role in that as being an assistant on the staff. Uh, I think things could still change for them as scheme-wise, but I think if you just look at effort, that's an issue right now. On certain plays, guys are just not doing the right thing. I think fighting over screens can be an issue at times, which is forcing switches for you know Andre Drummond or uh, getting onto you know a wing player in the perimeter. Or last night, even James Johnson was out there to defend Giannis Antetokounmpo with still giving him switches to Kyrie Irving, giving him switches to Kessler Edwards, where it's like, that some of it's just on the players. I think chemistry and cohesion is definitely another element where, you know, where the help is having trust in your teammates. You know, last night I thought the Nets did a good job of setting up on some possessions, but then there was overhelp or guys just being in no man's land where it's like you're coming over to help in the post, but you're not defending the rim and you're not double teaming, but you're giving up an open three. I think there's just some, some of that that could look link, link back to coaching. And then personnel, we know this team is undersized and there's also just a lot of minus defenders on this team. You know, there's more minus defenders than plus defenders. Yeah, I think you know, to piggyback off the personnel one, you can attack Seth Curry relentlessly now. I, I think that he's going to be sort of, you know, our Tyler hero. Not saying that he can't lock in and, and give you a few possessions here or there, but I think because of his his injury, it yeah. is an injury that he's going to have to deal with and that's just going to make it a little bit easier for you. Like, you know, James Harden when he's on a hamstring. Obviously, it's a, a, a less pressing issue than that. Kyrie Irving when he's locked in is a, is, is a good defender, but that inconsistency is also... And you know, sometimes it, Kyrie's a little overzealous where he thinks that he can defend someone that he can't. You know, think about last year in the postseason against the Celtics. He constantly wanted to take isos on... Tatum. Yeah, and it's like, dude, Tatum is... It's like six inches taller than you and he's just an elite player and you're not an elite defender. So I don't know what you're trying to do. Yeah. And I think that in terms of personnel, the Nets are just so heavily reliant on, on Bruce, on Clax uh, and, and on KD, you know, James yep. Johnson, very sparingly Andre Drummond, when he's got those sort of moments here and there can, can show some defensive yep. highlights. But in terms of the chemistry, I think some of that is coaching as well. Because, yep. you know, the Nets have had so many poor defensive performances on every facet of the floor. Whether it's three-point shooting, whether it's inside the paint, you know, the two main parts of the game that you want to protect. And the Nets, you know, can leak it like nobody else's business. 
and they can also just allow a million three-point shooters because they're either too zealous or just leaving guys way too open because they're not switching well enough. And some of that might be just before the game. Steve, like, okay, we are, you know, this is our main area of focus tonight. We are not low allowing them to get into the paint. We're going to wall it up, you know, like against Giannis and make him run through us and he can shoot a million free throws like he kind of did last night because that's the whistle that Giannis tends to get. Or we're versing a Miami Heat team. We're not letting Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, any of these guys go off because that's the area where we know that they can beat us offensively. They can ISO us to death and see if they can beat us that way. I think that they and maybe C Nash is doing that. That was a I, good defensive game plan, Jack. The Miami Heat and the Philadelphia 76ers, I thought were both good game plans because of things you mentioned. They also they were great with the scatter important understanding who they're giving up open threes to and who not to give up open threes, where last night that kind of wasn't the case in different situations. Yeah, I just think that the coaches need to do a little bit more of a work and make a bit more of an impact. And also the, the players obviously need to execute. Study. It's all, yeah, it's always much more on the players. And I think that... There is, there are times where the, the team can just be a bit too lax and it's just like, ah, well, we'll get it right in the postseason. And yeah, they might, but at this point in time, they don't have that luxury. They don't have a number one seed like they did at the start of the year and for large stretches last year as well. They need to win games and they need to get things right. You know, Kevin Durant's always talking about championship habits and getting them right now. There are some championship habits, but they are incredibly sporadic. In terms of effort, I think it's, it's literally a mentality thing, you know. Yeah. Everyone always says defense is is all above the head. You know, Ben Simmons was thought to be an awful defender in college at LSU, and he turns into one of the best defenders when he comes into the NBA. You know, and things can change just so rapidly just based off your mindset. You know, Bruce Brown was playing awful, very foul-prone defense. You know, when James Harden was with the team, comes back in, shows a level of physicality, switching, tenacity, defense, hustle on both ends of the floor to create offense and defense for himself. It's all a, a mindset thing, more so than the offense where it's just yeah. like, you've got to hit those buckets. You've got to be smarter. You've got to be, you know, a bit more, a bit cleverer and, and just a bit more savvy and more talented. So that's, th- 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 there are plenty of issues there and hopefully Steven is listening. Yeah, I think like there's still hope that the Nets can turn it up and be locked in. It's just that you want to see that consistency before it's the big stage. Like you said, you want to have the championship habits. Like last last night was just like the perfect taste of both worlds. And I hate keep referring that Bucks game, but like there were stretches where you felt so good. And then there were stretches where it's just like, God damn, it's the same shit over and over again. It's the same mental mistakes. And it's just like. You just got to be better where it's also just like a lot of possessions still happen where guys are just like looking at the other guy like, oh, I thought you were switching like, man, you are professional athletes. You're all grown men. Use your words like communicate on the floor. I think that's another issue with this team at times is the communication is not there. Yeah, and I think that that relates to something that I'm bringing him up again. James Harden yeah. said before about the personality of this team. No one really wants to like, you know, go out there and be the the a hole. You know, Jeff Green did that a little bit last year, yeah. sort of the leadership. I think Patty Mills, you know, is the guy that would do that, but he hasn't been playing good enough basketball to really have his voice be heard as much. You know, James Johnson isn't talented or good enough <laughs> to really, you know, make me want to listen to him. But in saying that, Nick, you know, I'll finish with the stat that I put on the timeline a couple of days ago. The Nets have a 111.6 defensive rating when KD is on the floor, which would be good enough for 15th in the league, average. When he's off, you know, that goes to 115.7, which is 25th. So I think it's just, and in the post is, yeah, in the post is, Kevin Durant's going to play 47 minutes. So the Nets are going to be <laughs> okay not. enough defensively as long as, you know, Kevin Durant is healthy. But again, you know, you don't want to overburden him with so much. And, and again, Kevin Durant's been making some mistakes there too, but I still think this season he's had an above average defensive season uh, despite some of the lapses that he has had.
when his workload is balanced, he can play elite defensively. When it's, you know, asking too much of him offensively, I think sometimes it's where you see him kind of take plays off. And occasionally he'll be the one that goes under a screen or, you know, won't won't communicate. So, like, again, it's kind of everybody on the team having those issues defensively. And obviously, if you want to be good, you need to be locked in as a unit. That's it. Um, we'll get to Max Bray at Bray Max 22. What do we do if the Sixers win the championship? That would be worse than the Knicks winning to me at this point. Look, I I don't think it's going to happen. Look, I'm in, to try and put myself in the shoes of this world actually happening. Yeah, I'd be pretty devastated. I'd be pretty, you know, but I think I just, it, it's so hard for me to actually envision that happening. Joel Embiid would have to go KD times LeBron mode in postseasons to actually make that happen. Can he do that? Maybe. He's a pretty awesome player. But I honestly think that envisioning this is harder than, you know, actually thinking about the the possible realities of the feelings that could come with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't see it being super realistic. Obviously, it would be I think it'd be really painful for the Nets because it'd be a big what if. But I think also it would depend on like how they got there. If they got there because, oh, James Harden is playing really well and he had the best postseason of his career. Yeah, it'd probably make you feel salty. But if it's like very Joel Embiid dominant, and he's averaging 40 in every series, and Harden's playing like trash. I, I would probably not be happy, but I wouldn't be as upset if, you know, if Harden was playing well and they won, and it could have been a what-if for the Nets. Obviously, it's still a what-if he was here, but his level of play right now is questionable on numerous fronts, and I don't even think it's all Harden's fault at this point. No, that's a good point, and if they do beat the, Nate, the, the, Nates, the Nets in one of the playoff series, you know it would probably hurt that little bit more also yeah. if it's a close series or, or something like that. But yeah, certainly something to hopefully not think about. Uh, we've got Doug Seltzer 5. Do you trust Kyrie Irving enough to give him a max contract? He has a tendency to bail on his team for whatever the reason year after year. Well, if Kevin Durant's going to get any of his way, they're going to be playing in, in New York until they're 50 years old. Yeah, at the YMCA, uh, 38 over league. Um, but I, I think that you give Kyrie the contract. Obviously, it's a risk, but, you know, it's what Kevin Durant wants. That's who he wants to play with. And obviously, that's the only other superstar in your roster. James Harden isn't here anymore. You know, Ben Simmons is a star, but I wouldn't categorize him as a superstar. And I think it is what it is at this point. You just hope that he's locked in enough for you to win a championship. And I think for the most part, Kyrie has been OK, obviously, this season with the whole vaccine stuff. But are we going to get another, you know, generational pandemic or, you know, once in a century type of thing happen again like that? Hopefully not. Will he uh, maybe have another incident at some point? Sure. But last time it happened, it was like a week or two. As long as it's not, you know, hampering the entire season or the year, then I'm OK if there's a couple hiccups here and there. Yeah, that's the that, that's the, the the superstar tax that you yeah. that you have to pay in in a, in a lot of respects. You know, not everyone is as readily available and reliable as a Nikola Jokic and and, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. There's you know the, there's just certain things that have to be sort of remedied with that. And and I believe you know don't quote me on this. In fact, maybe you can, but I'm I'm reading this via ESPN. He's going to be eligible for a five year, two hundred forty six million dollar contract if he declines his player option which is worth $36.5 million. I think he is likely, he would sign that in a heartbeat. I think it's going to be more on, can the Nets do a little bit of toing and froing with him? Who do you think the Bulls, I think because of, you know, given Kyrie Irving's availability, lack of availability, some of the things that Doug was alluding to, maybe the Nets have a little bit of leeway to go, all right, four-year team option or five-year with a team option or, or, or maybe something around those regards because, 
I will say, as amazing as Kyrie Irving is, he isn't a no-brainer Supermax sort of guy because those sort of guys are six or seven players in the league that you know are either so goddamn awesome when they're available and you don't even if it's 55 to 60 games, that's your Joel Embiid types, or they're just there night after night after night after night and producing on a level that is you know unheralded. You know, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic. Kyrie Irving isn't really in that same conversation, but it's a conversation that's just outside of that. Do you think the Nets have any sort of leeway there maybe, Nick? Uh, I'm not sure if they have much leverage given the situation with Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant's demand for him. And I think that the Nets can't afford to upset KD in any way, really. And they also just have no avenue to acquire another superstar. And at the very least, you need two of these guys to win a championship unless something else comes to fruition. I don't think they have much leverage. I don't think Kyrie has all the leverage in the world either. I think an ideal contract has some incentives in there and there's some protection for the Nets. And I think Kyrie at the end of the day would probably be open to the idea. You know what I mean? Like of things like being like if he takes an absence or something like that, that it could have a negative impact on the contract or games played is going to be an incentive or, you know, all those different things that you can put in there to protect yourselves. It's a player's league. And yeah, it's good because we, we, when we were discussing, you know, the, the initial signing of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, we also saw news come out about the mechanics of being able to have DeAndre Jordan was so many different little bonuses for Kyrie Irving in terms of games played, free throws made, all these little nuances. So maybe the Nets can get a little bit creative there and allow themselves to have somewhat bit of wiggle room. But like you alluded to, Nick, because this is Kevin Durant's organization um, and Kevin Durant loves Kyrie Irving probably more than many people on this earth, Kyrie's probably going to be getting uh, the $246 million if he wants it. But in, in saying that, we can probably get through a couple more questions. Um, going back to the community, the Brooklyn Buzz community tweets, uh, I'll maybe tackle Nets W asked us, and, and we've already tackled this one. If we could only re-sign one, who would you pick out of Bruce and Clacks uh, at Nets W two? We discussed that one already, but I appreciate the question. Uh, Graham S asked, who should be targeting the off season? That's a discussion that we will have in extensively in plenty of our off season pods. Graham, he did also ask, should we expect to see Day on it at all in the playoffs? I see that as incredibly unlikely, just because you know Blake hasn't even played, and we've seen what Blake can do um, already. And despite the fact that Daron was, was pretty great, you know, in, in his presence when he has been out there, you know, given you know the, the inexperience that he does have come the playoffs, big men in your rookie, big men in the playoffs is almost unheard of. Yeah. I mean, if you uh, expect the Nets to be handing out a 30 point blowout, you know, maybe we could see Daron in a playoff game, but that's really the only scenario. Like you said, he has a lot of guys to jump and he hasn't proven enough or been consistent enough to earn any type of playoff minute. And obviously he's been performing mostly in the G League. That's it. Uh, D-Rock's got a couple of questions. We might tackle. <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate it. At D underscore rock underscore in underscore B-K-L-Y-N. We'll tackle all of them eventually. Maybe a couple extra ones on the Atlanta one. Uh, of the Atlanta game recap. So maybe we'll get to one more. I think this one might be a good one. We're short on wings or small forwards. I can make a case for Kessler with to take a roster spot. The problem is someone must be cut. Do you agree? And if so, who gets cut? I'm not sure if we've discussed this, Nick, or if I've discussed this with other people, or you've discussed this with other people. Kessler was a better player than James Johnson, isn't he? I, I think on paper he is, but I think also Steve Nash doesn't trust Kessler Edwards. You know, over the last two games, he's given him an extremely short leash and has kind of pulled him after one mistake. And I think if Kess had not made the mistakes in those last two games, I think his possibility of earning that playoff spot were more likely. I personally would have Kessler on my playoff roster, but 
I don't think the Nets will just because Steve Nash's lack of willingness to play him consistently. Like there's an argument to play him last night. I think he finished the game plus eight, hit two threes, gives you versatile defense. Obviously, he cannot defend Giannis Antetokounmpo, which almost nobody in the NBA can do. That was more on James Johnson, which I talked about on the recap, which just also aggravated me at Steve Nash because he punished the rookie for a veteran mistake and didn't punish the veteran. But whatever. Um I don't think it's going to happen. I would love for them to cut James Johnson, especially if we saw that Ben Simmons was ready. You know, I think that would be something that made sense. Um, it's hard to really see them cut any other guy. I don't think Blake's going to be cut. I think it would just be rude <laughs> and disrespectful to him. Uh, I think Lamarcus getting cut would probably piss off Kevin Durant. And after that, I don't think there's really anybody else that would be cuttable. Yeah, I think Kessler Edwards provides you similar to what Jeff a very light version of what Jeff Green gave for us last year. I think that he... Aspects of Jeff Green. Yeah, in terms of just his spacing, you know, the, yep. in terms of unlocking the Nets offensively uh, and their switchability as well. You know, we've seen Kessa Edwards and Nick Claxton have, you know, lockdown defensive moments yep. that have been a lot of fun to watch as well. So uh, I think he fits the prototype of what the Nets, when the when the Nets' identity is at its best, which is frustrating. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be after a wait and see proposition, probably a wait and see until next year and next year's postseason, given, you know, all the machinations that we have discussed. Uh, Dibok also asked about the first round, uh, which team we would want. We discussed that thanks to Corey, but appreciate the question from Dibok there. Um, he's asked us about Steve Nash's. Uh, maybe we can get into rotation. Do you want to do one more, Nick? Yeah, I would say the rotation one, I think, will probably take a while. So if you want to do a quicker one, it's up to you. Uh, let me take a little besides, Ben. Um, we've talked about the defense as well. He he asked about you know Steve Nash improving our defense. I I spoke pretty you know explicitly about you know just simple game plans and and simple fo- uh, focuses as we sort of alluded to. Um, I think we're probably good in that you one. The, the pros and cons of uh, Nets Twitter spaces. <laughs> pros and cons of Nets Twitter spaces. That's a good one to sort of finish with. Um, I don't think there are really any cons. You know, I think it it's all pros. Just chatting about a team that we all love. Yeah, sometimes it can be a bit repetitive and whatever, but at the end of the day, if people want to be there, people want to chat about the Nets, you know, shout out to guys like Cash Ransom, Jay from BK, Brandon, you know, DJ, Shane. These guys are doing awesome content in, in, a, in a new and unique way. Saint from Nets Kingdom, the Nets Kingdom crew, everyone that jumps in those spaces, um, they, they do the God's work. You know, they're going out there and, and providing hours and hours of content. It's, it's, a, it's a really unique and cool platform. You know, Nick and I have used, utilized it a couple of times. I think it's a fun way to engage, you know, with the fans a little bit more um, than a than a, a more formal sort of thing like a podcast. I, I prefer podcasts just because I, I like a bit of structure to it. Um, in terms, and we of like that. to talk. It's hard. I think the biggest con would be sometimes it's hard to get up there because there's so many people and there's you know you're you're fighting to get a spot and it's become so popular. Yeah, and and that is a massive credit to all the Nets fans out there, yep. and as well as all the, the hosts that have done such an uh, amazing work, you know, Brooklyn Netcast, and you know, so many awesome people, you know, Eddie Gonzalez, you know, when he he decides to jump in with DJ and Shane. There are so many great people uh, in terms of the, the hosts of those Nets sort of spaces doing an awesome job at you know, halftime, pre-game, after the game. Um, and then, you know, there's the, the so many great podcasts, Locked On, Glue Guys, Us, Nets Man Up. Um, th- there's plenty of content there, and I think that that's the, the, the great thing. It allows you to, to interact um, with a team that we all love in, in so many unique different ways. So I don't think there's any cons. I think Nick probably listed the, the one con being that, you know, people that want to get more more involved with it, it's a bit tricky when it is so popular and big games and, and, and big moments when big trades sort of do happen. But ultimately, you know, it, it's all gravy. It's all good, baby. 
I, I think I like the fact that it's you can just like hop in and listen for 10 minutes and then like you don't have to listen to a whole podcast. You can just catch someone's thoughts. I think it's always cool to hear different perspectives and ideas that you probably didn't think of just because someone looks at the game completely different. And, and I mean, at this point, it's almost going on all hours of the day. So you want Nets content, go to spaces. And I'm sure someone will be hosting. Like you said, you got pregame, you got halftime, you got postgame. Sometimes the postgame ones feel like they go into the next morning. So uh, there, there's a lot of Nets content out there. Like you said, it, it's pretty cool to see the fan base grow and be showcased in a different way in which like, you're really like, yeah, you see people tweet stuff, but the fact that spaces have become so popular, I think it just credit to the Nets and the organization and just like the fan base and growing and, you know, you know, just being available and out there. Yeah, two things. Twitter needs to allow us to download those MP3 files so we can put them on our podcast feed. We'd be doing them a lot more. Trust me if that were the case. But, you know, Twitter, they're, they're making some improvements. They're getting the edit button out there, hopefully. And I, I, my girlfriend also showed me this platform, which apparently they're releasing, which will show podcasts, you know, best moments. But if you download this app, and I'm just, I responded to it, I'm like, well, the whole Brooklyn buzz or the entire 50 minutes <laughs> episode would, would come up as the best moment. Uh, there are no good moments. It's all good moments on the Brooklyn buzz. We aren't, we aren't clickbaity sort of stuff. Obviously, we, we try and structure it in a sort of way that people will probably listen to more the, the more pressing news. But at the same time, you listen to every goddamn second of this dumb Australian accent <laughs> and this gorgeous American, very sultry tones of Nick Faye. Uh, it's the buzz, baby. Uh, it's been great. I don't know if my tones are that great, but I appreciate it, Jack. I like listening to the Australian accent. I'm sure the listeners do too. But a uh, quick shout out to everyone. Appreciate all the mailbag questions. It's always super fun to get the questions and look at things from a different perspective, like I mentioned with the spaces. And we'll look to hopefully maybe get another one in before the playoffs. And then hopefully we don't have to do another one until, you know, the Nets win a championship. But that's for another day. Jack, always a pleasure. And big thanks, to everybody, for listening. Anyone wants to reach out, hit me up in the DMs. I will be in the US of A in a week's time. I will be on a plane, guys. So hit me up if you want to. I'll hopefully be going to the Pacers game. If you want to, Nick and I will try to be doing some cool recordings and stuff. I'll be bringing over my portable mic, my mini little laptop. So the buzz will still be continuing. But if anyone wants to meet up in person at that Pacers game and hopefully a few more games in the playoffs, do hit me up in the DMs. Yeah, and we'll officially set something up when we get a uh, better idea of the postseason. And hopefully that means a playing game in Barclays or a first round matchup, whatever it is, fingers crossed. And hopefully, you know, we get some Nets wins, but always a pleasure. Big thanks to everybody for listening. Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.